welcome to this week's episode of Across the Cemetery. My name's Emma. And I'm Josh. And Josh is leading the episode this week. What is it about? This week we're going to be talking about serial killers, which is slightly different to what we usually talk about. We did say we were going to talk about true crime at some point. And this week the pumpkin said we were going to. The pumpkins are lizard. <laughs> Before we start though, I'm going to ask you, because I always do, how was your week? It was good. It was my birthday. The week just gone, so well, I was in work on my birthday, so that went great. But the weekend was good. How was your week? I had a lovely week. I was off. I was off work on your birthday, mm, and it's alright, isn't it? The day after, I went and got a facial, and then the day after that, we went round down the forest. By the time this day uh, episode is, it might not be the week after, but this was the week beginning with the eleventh of February. It's a show business week. <laughs> so. I have a bit of an introduction to today's episode. The human mind is an absurdly complex piece of biological engineering. The list of achievements that we have reached are incredible, ranging from the exploration of the farthest corners of this planet to safely reaching the remits of planets other than our own, and also breaking through multiple unimaginable barriers of medical science. So why is it that even with this unfathomable ability and knowledge, the human beings also have the tendency to do the most disgusting acts that one could envision. Throughout history, there have been countless instances of events that have sent shockwaves across communities, nations and the world. These events being the brainchild of the human mind. When working together, people could create a space where there are no illnesses, no poverty, no problems. But that, sadly, isn't the reality of the world we live in. Today we are going to take a glimpse into a new series of the podcast that we will be running alongside our usual episodes, looking at some of the most horrendous souls to have walked this earth. We are going to delve into the world of serial killers, taking a peek at the atrocious crimes they committed and also potentially trying to understand what drove them to do so. One of the earliest known cases of murder is said to be from around 430,000 years ago. Of course, this isn't likely to be the first ever homicide to take place, but this crime was discovered when researchers entered a deep cave, coming across a pristinely preserved skeletal remain. Despite being incredibly old, the relic revealed a damning story once scientists had pieced the puzzle back together. Upon meticulous investigation, indentations were found on the skull of the body. The indentations were so precise that it could only be concluded that the cause would be quick, precise strikes from a hard, blunt object. Judging by the time, it is expected that the killer would have used a stone to inflict the damage to their victim, but this cannot be certain. Interestingly and gruesomely, it is understood that the attacker tried to cover up their act, following the two blows to the head. The body seems to be dropped into the cave from quite a height, one that would certainly ensure the deed was done. Being such a historic case, it is safe to assume that the perpetrator and their victim were not of such a developed and conscious calibre as you or me are today. Despite this, there may be a hint of remorse or guilt in their actions as they have tried to hide the evidence of their crime, which in fairness they did a good job of because they weren't discovered for more than 400,000 years. <laughs> Looking to more recent times, we find an abundance of curious cases that depict souls that choose, for whatever reason, to end the lives of others. 
And in today's episode, we're going to take a look at two of history's most prolific serial killers. I fucking love serial killers. Like, that sounds weird, but I done my undergrad, no, both degrees actually, are to do with like criminology and criminal justice. I don't do that now, so I don't know why I've done that in my degree. But, and then looking at the book bookshelf, there's like A to Z of um, serial killers. I watch all the serial killer shows, I am Unsolved Mysteries and that. At the minute, I'm, I watched you. That, he's not, he is technically a serial killer, but technically not. He, he's not like, he's not like, because in, I done, I don't know, I'm on a tangent, but I done an assignment in uni and I got a first on it about Eileen Warnhouse or Warners, I can't say it, but she was a serial killer. I actually get a fucking person at them. Because I can type it, I can't say it. <laughs> I told you I'm book smart, not street smart. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I'm just gonna have to unplug Emma because obviously I've put fucking put ten p in it. <laughs> she did really riled her up and got her excited. I loved them. <laughs> um, also, if you may have noticed, I, I made an executive decision about the podcast at the very start. There, so we're gonna make a new series. <laughs> I was like, that's news to me. Wow, <laughs> that's interesting. I think we did mention it in the introduction episode. Yeah. Um, this will run alongside our regular episodes of a Friday, I believe, because some of the cases are really in-depth that could honestly have like their own multi-part yeah. series. Like case study, yeah, but some of them will only be like really short. So we'll, we'll do a little run-along I'm series. Up for, I'm up for that. Of course you are. <laughs> Didn't doubt it for a minute. <laughs> so the first serial killer we're going to talk about is I can't do a serial killer episode and not talk about Jack the Ripper. So back in episode twelve of the podcast, we took a deep dive into the curious case of Spring Heeled Jack, an athletic menace who terrorised the streets of London and arguably other parts of the UK. What was so unique about this case is that the attacker never actually killed anybody. He was a nuisance at the best of times and a pest to the women of London at the worst of times. Springheel Jack was never truly identified, not to any satisfactory end. The reason I mention this bounty troublemaker is that they are arguably the inspiration for one of the most infamous murderers in the world, Jack the Ripper. Between the years 1888 and 1892, London was plagued by fear. A spate of murders had occurred, however only five of which were attributed by police to Jack the Ripper. Arguably, the reason that Jack was only coveted with five of the murders was one of the reasons he was so famous. You see, while the attacker was at large, it was a common occurrence for the London police force to receive taunting letters from the killer depicting in great detail his intentions and the gruesome ways in which he would stalk his victims before going in for the kill. One aspect of the murders committed by Jack the Ripper that fueled speculations was the way in which the victims' bodies were treated following the murders. It was said that a certain level of mutilation was committed by Jack, whereby in one instance, half of a human kidney was extracted from the victim's body and sent to the police in a nauseating effort to taunt the law enforcement bragging that he was freely committing such heinous crimes across the capital. Actions such as the mailing of body parts led to authorities to believe that the killer was somebody who had at least some knowledge of the human anatomy. Somebody who knew their way around the body and how to perform rudimentary organ extraction, 
something not of common knowledge to the unrefined brute that may usually be culpable for such crimes. From the five victims that were accredited to Jack the Ripper, it is widely believed that all five were ladies of the night, soliciting for business in the dreary slums of London. Each of the fatalities that were unfortunate enough to become the prey of Jack the Ripper were said to have had their throats slit when they wandered from the illumination of basic street lamps that provided very little respite from the inky blackness that seized London once the sun had gone down. Listen to the story. <laughs> For many years, it was uncontested that the victims of this killer were prostitutes. But in more recent years, it has been argued that potentially this was a ploy by the media, namely newspapers of the time. As if it was depicted that the victims of the killer were all lowly prostitutes, it will likely reassure the higher classes of London that they are not within the remit of the killer and immune to his acts of violence. Or potentially, the victimisation of prostitutes was a ploy by the police force of London to depict that the crimes of Jack the Ripper were only applicable to other criminals, or those that were considered to not matter in society. This would have benefited the police as it was being well documented that multiple attempts were made to trap and capture Jack, but to no avail. In most instances, the mysterious killer made a mockery of his hunters which ironically led to quite a public uproar and eventually the resignation of the Home Secretary and the London Police Commissioner. The true identity of Jack the Ripper differs from most serial killers, as this is something that has never been truly confirmed. However, the reason that I mention this case is due to one potential suspect that brings the story a little closer to home. A troubled cotton merchant from Liverpool, James Maybrick, fell into the public consciousness as a potential contender for being Jack the Ripper during the 1990s. Oddly, during the time of the murders, Maybrick was not linked to the attacks at all, but the discovery of, the di of a diary in 1992 shed light onto the possible suspect with a past link him to the crimes. I don't think he was actually born in Liverpool, to be honest, but he moved to Liverpool. Oh. <laughs> so take that back. During the course of business, Maybrick would travel between London, Norfolk, Virginia, America, and eventually Liverpool. It was during one of his voyages that he met his young bride, Florence. After marrying Florence, the couple resided in Liverpool while James still continued to travel as part of his business. This would often take him down to London, which is where James's apparent involvement in Jack the, R the Jack the Ripper case begins. Well, obviously, because that's where the murders were committed. <laughs> It is alleged, with some evidence from a census and a will, that James Maybrick didn't just have Florence for a wife, but in fact was already married to a lady by the name of Sarah Ann who lived in Whitechapel, London, which just happens to be the same area that the murders of Jack the Ripper took place in. Obviously, residing in the area when in London would have given Maybrick a strong knowledge of the area. Adding more fuel to the unbalanced fire, James Maybrick was also said to have suffered from malaria, a disease which would introduce him to drugs containing arsenic that James became addicted to. This sounds odd in the modern context as arsenic is used as a form of poison, but in the late 1800s it was actually quite a fashionable drug and something that Maybrick would later become addicted to and would continue to be addicted to for the rest of his life. 
The mid-1880s saw James Maybrick's business enter a period of demise. He was still held in the high regard of Liverpool's social circles, but his home life was taking a period of rapid decline. His second child to Florence had just been born, but it was at this time that Florence caught wind of James's other wife in London. James Maybrick would split his time between Liverpool and London, apparently on business, but likely in a bid to see his other wife and potentially to commit some of the most infamous murders in history. How many hours in a day does this guy have? <laughs> 1800s, didn't have to tell you, did he? Oh, true. <laughs> However, this suspect's tale does take an abrupt turn when in 1889, James Maybrick's health took a sharp decline, as did his home life in Liverpool with Florence. Alleged mental and physical abuse appeared to become commonplace in the Maybrick's Egbeth home. I nearly said it wrong then, I Olivia. <laughs> James was over-medicating for his illness until, on the 11th of May 1889, James passed away from an alleged overdose. Alleged? Listen to the story. <laughs> Florence was accused of poisoning James out of spite after she had discovered his alternative life in the capital. Go on, girl. The trial determined that Florence was guilty of murder by arsenic poison, obtained from flypapers and applied to meat, then consumed by James. She was sentenced to hang, however this never came to pass as the judge on the case was soon after found to be ill of mind and admitted to a mental health institution. Florence did however serve a lengthy prison sentence before being released in 1904. James Maybrick's remains were put to rest in Anfield Cemetery. Oh my god, really? Yeah, and I did. Do you know when you went to the psychic, the psychic and I walked around Anfield Cemetery? Yeah, yeah. There was a sign. Oh, yeah, I remember you said, yeah. yeah. There you go. Was that for him? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to try and actually find the grave. I did have a look around, but I couldn't find it. I, there Ooh. is, if you Google it, there is images. Yeah, I remember you saying in one of the episodes there was something to do with the Jack the Ripper case. Yeah, and it's his grave. Although some of the facts may line up and make James Maybrick a valid culprit for the Jack the Ripper murders, one huge detail cannot be overlooked. He did die in 1889, yet the murders, those attributed to Jack the Ripper, continued until 1892, which would leave at least two and a half years of murdering unaccounted for, unless the death of James was not the end of Jack. So, also, you said... Go ahead, girl. He's having an affair. This, that, and you're there. You should kill him. Florence was also having an affair. Florence was all... Florence, my girl. What this, are you playing at? This bitch. Fucking hell. I thought we were mates as well. It was also later found, you know, she was convicted, yeah. obviously, by the judge who was not mentally well. Yeah. It was later found that the arsenic she had attained from the flypaper, which I assume was paper that you lay down to attract flies yeah. to kill them, would not have been enough to kill a person. So it must have been with his doses as well, do you Potentially, but I also don't think she... I personally don't think she killed him. I think he... Was you having an affair with Florence, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> you got me. Um, interestingly, and I thought I included it because I thought you'd like this, she moved back to America because she was from America originally. Yeah. And she became destitute and known as the Cat Lady. Oh my God! I told you she was my girl. She essentially, <laughs> when she moved back to America, she eventually saved up enough money to buy some land, built a cottage, and lived with cats. Stop it! That's my dream. I literally say to you every, well, not every day, obviously, but I say to you, I want a cottage in, in like woods and. Yeah, I mean, it's not every day, no, but you, you have said it. <laughs> you have said it previously, maybe, I've said it like maybe once. two times. <laughs> um, the, 
Watch yeah. out for the fly papers, Josh. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think they have heart arsenic on them anymore, but okay. <laughs> there are many, many other suspects. So, like I mentioned earlier, we could make a podcast series just on Jack the Ripper. There's yeah. so many suspects. It's unbelievable. Um, But I thought I'd mention that one because of the Liverpool connection. Yeah, I like that. I like it when it always comes back to Liverpool. Especially Anfield. Mm-hmm. We're going to watch a match tonight, aren't we? Yes. Fucking Real Madrid. Did you see them? They were setting Liverpool fans set off fireworks outside the Hilton at 2am to no? wake up the Real Madrid team. <gasps> That's so bad. No, it's not. It's, it's fucking common occurrence. That's not fair. Though. It's a common occurrence. It's common occurrence in awful Everton fans do it. Yeah, but have done it. Not in Europe, obviously, but have done it. <laughs> football banter. Ha! <laughs> this um, is not a football podcast. <laughs> let's go back to Jack the Ripper. <laughs> Doing more than five murders... In the area, so the they were named the Whitechapel Murders. Yeah, I've watched the program about that. So Jack the Ripper could have been responsible for the killing of so many more people. It was just a five seemed to be attributed to Jack the Ripper yeah. for whatever reason. I think it's probably down to <coughs> the police being not very good. How dare you say that? About I'm sorry police. to the Metropolitan you sound Police like ice cube. and to Old Scotland Yards. <laughs> no, but I I think it's just, obviously things technology of the time stuff like that yeah. they, they wouldn't have been able to yeah, forensically like, find out who. I was, was gonna say like you know when he's sending like body parts and that nowadays you'd probably be able to find who it was if they were on the system, wouldn't you really? Yeah. Or have, a, have an Some, idea. Someone would be able to find out somehow some magical scientific yeah. way that I don't understand, but it would be possible more yeah. than likely. Some social factors come into play, predominantly. Whitechapel was a poor area, so the killer may have chosen that area on purpose to try and stay under the radar, picking victims that those in high society wouldn't have cared for. So that's another reason why I think he was only attributed to five. Maybe they were more high profile. Maybe they were seen by more people. And others he just never seen, like he never found out about. Yeah. But this website and stuff that are like specifically just for, as you'd imagine, yeah. But there's one that was really interesting. It's got like case profiles on all the suspects. It's got pictures of some of the victims. Really? That's yeah, interesting considering how long ago it was. Yeah, it's it was it's it's really good. I'll leave a link to that in the description. But I will be referring back to that. To Don't rob it because we want to use when, the podcast for it. When, when I eventually well, you can rob it. Go and look at it. But I'm going to speak about it. And you're going to listen to it. And you're going to enjoy it. And enjoy it. <laughs> um, the second one, I think, is a bit more gruesome. And it's also a lot more recent. Oh, how recent are we talking? We're still alive. Oh. And it's quite harrowing, and you'll find out why at the end. The whole story is actually quite a bit messed up, but, well, listen and you'll find out. You'll enjoy it. Well, you might not, but listen anyway. (laughs) So we're going to talk about Luis Alfredo Garavito. We now move to South America, namely Colombia, where we meet one Mr. Luis Alfredo Garavito, like I just said. <laughs> this is one of the most disturbing cases of mass murder that I've come across, which contains a lot of sensitive details, of which I'll only disclose what I have to so that you get a full picture of the crimes committed. Despite having sensitive topics involved, I will take care to gloss over the issues as best as possible, but be warned. There is a mention of sexual assault and, of course, murder. A troublesome childhood is potentially a key hallmark 
of many people who go on to commit acts that are outside of our acceptable social conduct. That is exactly what happened to Garavito. Attending school for only a few years, he was eventually outcast for his behaviour, which may have been a byproduct of the abuse received from his father and neighbours. This led to Garavito leading a life of no fixed abode, moving about taking casual work as and when he could. It is well regarded that Garavito also had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, which would further fuel the instability in his life. However, during the late 1980s slash early 1990s, it is said that Garavito met a girlfriend that he began to settle down with and eventually moved into her home. He began to work as a street vendor, sticking to some sort of schedule and routine that on the face of it would allow for a basis of a stable life. This was actually far from the case. You see, deep down, an urge began to emanate and eventually came to fruition. 1992 was the year of the first incident that led to a seven-year crime spree that would shock the world. Apart from who's never heard of him. <laughs> Garavito's regular method is what earned him the name La Bestia, the Beast. He would render a disguise, often said to be a monk, or something that would give his victims an instant feeling of ease. The beast would either claim to be in need of assistance, or would offer his victim some sort of favour or reward, such as a drink or an item of value. This would lure the victim, who were young boys between the ages of 8 and 16, to an isolated area. At this point, Garavito would often sexually assault them before abruptly bringing their life to an end with his preferred method of stabbing the victim in the neck. Following the deaths of his victims, Garavito was known to mutilate the bodies in a vulgar way or dispose of them via dumping in inconspicuous places local to the crime scene. He would often choose deep ravines or cliff edges, which would give the impression that the young souls had lost their lives by a misadventure. The bodies were discovered, not all, but some were discovered and often treated as individual cases and unrelated. That was, however, until April 1999. A 12-year-old boy had managed to escape the clutches of the beast following one of his ploys to assault the preteen. The boy sought refuge with the police who attended the scene but were unable to find any trace of the perpetrator. What they did find, however, was a note. A note that contains an address leading them to the abode of Louis Scott Garavito's unsuspecting girlfriend. At the residence, the police were granted entry as the woman knew nothing of the atrocious acts that had been committed by her partner. What the police found was the tip of the iceberg. A suitcase was uncovered, containing a range of photographs of the victim's bodies and newspaper clippings that detailed the horrific acts. Sure, you know, like... Even if you don't know exactly, surely you have an idea that your husband or whatever is up to something. Well, this bitch didn't. Stupid. Just plain dumb, aren't you? The authorities knew that they were discovering something big and ordered every available force at their disposal to cordon off the town, eliminating any chance of escape. The plan worked. Garavito was apprehended, attempting to flee the boundaries of the town and was taken in for further questioning. It was at this point that Luis Alfredo the beast Garavito gave a full confession to his crimes. He confessed to well over 100 murders and was eventually convicted for around 140 deaths of young boys. 
However, the body count is believed to be somewhere around 189, but proof cannot be found of these victims. Garavito was sentenced to 1,853 years in prison for his vicious murders, yet according to La Vanguardia newspaper, he is actually due for a parole hearing in 2023, this year, after serving just 24 years in a maximum security facility. You'd certainly hope not. Do you reckon because he was abused as a child, he's abusing children? Because you find that in a lot of cases. It's not right, obviously, but you find like the victim usually becomes the abuser. Yeah. So, my first two discussion points is, yeah, the trouble past, alcohol abuse issues. Is his desire to commit these crimes from these factors, or is it deeper than this? So he picked young boys as well as his victims. Is that because he had a bad childhood, mm-hmm. so he thinks he's got to take away? Somebody else's childhood? Not fair though, but yeah. No, certainly isn't, but that's what it is. And how did it take the police so long when there were so many victims over fucking what? Seven years? There was apparently 189 victims. In fairness, it wasn't all in the same area. It was supposedly he ventured over into neighbouring countries from time uh, to time and say, there were some pe- people there. But surely there's so got to be some link. Yeah, yeah, young kids. Usually with a young stab wound to the neck. Yeah, young boys. Usually with a stab wound to the neck. They probably did. They probably didn't have an idea, but they probably were aware that they were going missing. But um, I know it was only the nineties, but a lot of it, like, there wasn't as much technology then either, was there? So. No, there wasn't. But at the same time, things have progressed obviously a whole lot in a hundred years. Yeah. So you think they would have came across something? Even members of it, as you say, the, the girlfriend as well. I was going to say members of the public then, but he had a girlfriend that he lived with yeah, during the time. He had the proof there, like, and in yeah, the suitcase. and he saves clippings of newspapers yeah. of the murder. So obviously, some of the murders were getting picked up, but they were unsuspecting. They didn't know who done them. They always seem to do that. They always seem to keep like trophies or something about it, don't they? So yeah, so do you like think a that? Pouch, yeah? Or do you think it's like a? Uh, you say trophy is an element of achievement. Do they think they've done good? They might do. They might be that twisted. They think they've done good. Yeah. Maybe he thinks, I'm not sure, but maybe he thinks he's protecting these boys because he's not letting them allow, like live long to have a bad childhood. I mean, to grow up after, with the effects of having a bad childhood. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I doubt it because he wouldn't have done it. I don't know. Yeah, so in that particular case... I'm of the mind to think that, unlike Jack the Ripper, which seems to be a sort of social power trip where it seems to be a more well-to-do guy that is attacking peasants, essentially. Yeah. This guy seems to be... His childhood seems to be the stem and reason why he's done yeah. what he's done. Because he's had a bad childhood. He didn't last long in school. He's quite... I'm not saying if you're un- uneducated, you become a yeah. murderer. Obviously, that isn't the case. But maybe he didn't yeah. learn the basic social skills that you do when you're in school. Yeah. I know it's not a great place for many people, but that's your first sort of enlightenment to how the world works. Yeah, and he's in a good home, so, yeah. no so, like- so there's no even if he did find it hard in school, there was no escape from yeah. that abuse that may have been happening in school as well. Yeah. So... I, that coupled with going into adulthood with an alcohol abuse problem has obviously led to him having distorted views 
views, uh, mindset. I, that's my theory. That's why I think he's he might even, done what he's done. He might even envy young boys because they look like they're having a nice life and he's like, well, why didn't I get to do that? So he's like seeking revenge, sort of. Yeah. Do you think there's anything in the fact that he would dress up or disguise himself as a trustworthy character to lure them? Or do you think that was simply just a ploy to lure people in? I think that's just to lure them in. Like, Jeffrey Dahmer done stuff like that, didn't he? Yeah. Like, he'd say, like, oh, I'm just going to take your photo, or you buy them drinks and stuff at the bars. Yeah. Or, uh, there's another one. I can't remember. The Vampire Cracker's a bit different, but he used to, like, poison drinks and stuff, so... I don't know if they just do it just as... So they get the... Like, they entice them in. Yeah, I know what you mean. It'd be interesting to, you know. It's weird the way the minds work, isn't it? Like you want to know. Obviously, it's horrible, and you don't, you don't want to know about it. But you want to know about it. You want to know what they're thinking. You want to know why they don't. Know. Yeah, but we we need to, arguably need to learn about it because if we don't, we don't know how to help it. Yeah, we don't know how to prevent it. See, maybe this guy can't be. Maybe he can. Uh, Something tells something tells me he can't be reintegrated into society. No. Hopefully, he doesn't in this year, twenty twenty three. But moving forward, if somebody starts showing a, a potential tendency to be thinking in the same yeah. way, maybe there's a way we can help them before they do anything bad. Maybe they don't go on to do anything bad, but maybe there's a way we can. Yeah, or they're showing signs of maybe that they harm themselves potentially. Sometimes they start with animals as well. Yeah, so if there's early signs, there might be a way for us to help other people with mental health issues. Maybe not, obviously not to such a great extent as they are murderers or mass murderers yeah. or whatever. But perhaps if he'd have helped though when he was younger and a stronger family, he might not have an alcoholic addiction. Well, he might do, but he might have been able to cope with it more or not like turn to drinking as much. Yeah. Neither. Yeah. <laughs> so. Hope he doesn't get off this year. <laughs> me too. <laughs> there are a ridiculous number of true crimes that could be explored and discussed, many of which remain unsolved. To give the topic the respect it deserves, going forward, I think we'll do a series, like I mentioned at the top of this episode, deep diving into each case individually, exploring the crevices of each instance and discussing potential theories as to why these may have happened. And if nobody has been caught, why? This topic is also slightly different to our usual spooky stories, so a series of its own will allow our lovely listeners to decide for themselves if they would like to participate in our true crime antics or not. So are we going to go murder too? Or? <laughs> uh, it remains to be decided. <laughs> if there is anything you'd like us to cover, or something that you have particular interest in, please let us know by emailing us to acrossthecemetery at gmail.com. As we mentioned in most episodes as well, you can find, well, all episodes, <laughs> you can find us on social media. We are Twitter at Across the Cemetery, AX the Cemetery, TikTok at AX the Cemetery, and Instagram at Across the Cemetery. I'm not closing the episode off just instantly, cutting you off. That was just in my outro. Do you have any further things you'd like to say as, on serial killers as a whole? Um, not as a whole, because I could just go on and on and on. Um, as usual. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, I've actually got. I'm gonna be do. I'm gonna be posting it soon. I've got a little bit of a true crime story that happened in Delmia Forest. Oh. Yeah. 
very topical because we just went there last week. So you'll have to come to TikTok to see it. Find that on TikTok. On AX The Cemetery. Yeah. And also, if you have any tips about TikTok or any videos that you would like to send me, please send me them. And yeah, I'm not really that familiar with TikTok, so I don't, I don't know like the trigger warnings or like I don't, I don't know the dances. I'm not probably ever gonna do the dances. I can't dance. But yeah, if you wanna, if you have any tips, feel free to message me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, uh, please consider leaving us a review on whichever platform you're listening on. It would be much appreciated. And we will see you in the next episode. See you later. Bye. Bye. It is said that a certain level of mutilation was committed by the. <clears throat> That's another thing. It was said that a certain level of mutilation was committed by the committer. <laughs> From the five victims that were accredited to Jack the Ripper, it is widely believed that all five were ladies of the night, soliciting for bidness. 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 <laughs> See if you got bidness. <laughs>